Hello and welcome to our new podcast series, the Halftime Cuppa Coaches Club podcast. Um, a first in a, in a new series, as we yeah. mentioned, Three, and with two. it we have a star-studded panel this evening. <laughs> and um, well, what better place to start than um, my right-hand man, as usual, Charlie Pumphrey. Welcome again to another podcast, Charlie. How are you? Good evening, Danny. I'm basically part of the furniture now. You can't get rid of me because the tips are all closed. And I'm happy to be here, Danny. Happy to be here. <laughs> Brilliant. It's great to have you on, as, as always, uh, Charlie. And uh, joining Charlie tonight, we've got two um, fantastic guests within the coaching world who are making, I believe, their debut with us uh, this evening. So we have... Robert Manzi, a really good friend of mine, a really good coach. Um, currently, you're the club secretary at um, Kinder Football Club. That's correct. Uh, thank you, Danny. Yeah. How are you this evening? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you to you and Charlie for inviting me on. Um, really looking forward to it. Thank you, folks. Brilliant. And joining Rob, we have Mo Jammer, a fantastic football coach. Um, I believe your girls are what, under 15 now, I think. They yes. grow up so quick, your, your team. <laughs> um, he, he's, a, again, another fantastic coach and um, will have some great insight. So um, thanks for coming on, Mo. That's all right. Thanks for your invite and looking forward to my debut. Good stuff. Oh, he's got the bagpipe. That's going. right. No, my phone's about to go off, guys. It's all right. Would it be a half? Would it be a half tone couple production if there wasn't at least some bagpipes at some point? Oh, I'm sure there's always something in there. There's always something. Right. Okay. So let's kick things off then. Um, today's uh, podcast is all about coaching philosophies. Um, so I guess really we're, we're going to talk about obviously that and how that applies to when you go and coach. Uh, your teams. So I'm going to kick off with Mo. Um, just give yes. us a general overview of what you believe to be your your coaching and playing philosophy. Oh, well, that's a t tough one now, isn't it? <laughs> so um, It is. <laughs> I know. It's a good subject, really, and one of my favourites. Um, my coaching philosophy is usually just the development of the players and trying to improve their ability as much as I can um, whilst trying to make them work as a team. Um, while the playing philosophy is usually based on teamwork and possession football, um, mainly because of my love for attacking and possession football, such as coaches um, Pep Guardiola, etc. So teamwork, possession-based philosophy playing-wise and player development in terms of coaching-wise. That's so it, really. Brilliant that there. Yep. Sorry. In a, in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mike. Um, okay, Rob, let's bring in your thoughts then. What's your, what's your uh, philosophy? Okay. Um, I think mine are very similar to Mo's. I mean, mine and I, uh, as with you, um, we've all worked together closely and coached together. So a lot of what Mo believes, I, I have a similar interest in. So from the play perspective, it is obviously the individual development and I guess, support and encouragement. And then it's adding that to the collective or having a real team unison and working as a whole, I guess, to one general goal. Um, and then I guess we're looking, I guess, overall, like team philosophy and, um, and plan. Um, I always like to have a team that 
is, I think, strong mentally. I think that's quite important to me as a coach. The, the technique you can always develop, that's our role as coaches, but the mentality, I think, usually comes in from within. Um, and it's really, I guess, improving that in the individual and then getting the teams kind of all work together, I guess, as a, as a strong unit. That's kind of like what I like to work with when I'm coaching. Okay, brilliant stuff. Um, Charlie? If you if you finish with your bagpipes, yeah, um, bagpipes are away. Your... They're away. The things the bag coaching bagpipes. Bag you can never finish with them. You can never finish with them. Um, yeah, I feel. Let's like hear your be... thoughts then. What? What? Go on. Go on. I've, I've, yeah, the bagpipes throw everything off. Um, I think <laughs> I probably echo a lot of the thoughts of Rob and Mo there. To be honest, that you try and develop players individually, but then you have to reinforce that the sum of the whole needs to be more than the sum of the parts. If that makes sense, that. When you're a team, you need to learn to work together and you need to know when and where to support people and how we do that in the right way. I think that's almost just as important as being able to ping a pass first 30 yards is being able to turn around to a teammate and go, OK, how, what do I need to do to help the team do better than necessarily just, am I going to score three goals today? And I think my experience on it is obviously much less than you guys, so I'd be interested to know if there was anything there that you'd, that you'd do differently. Anyone want to jump on in on that? Go on, I'll leave it to Rob. He's the most experienced person we have but, here. But hey, not by coaching, but thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I can't really add anything too much. I think Charlie's kind of knocked, knocked it, I think, out of the park. That last statement there is, what can I do for the team rather than what I can do individually? Um, and we all, most of us work with, with young children um, or I guess I guess adults who are young adults, as in like, 17 or 18, um, and that's what I was kind of alluding to about the mentality earlier. Mm. It's it's mm-hmm. that belief that I'm buying into something more than just me. If I get better, that's great. But if the team gets better with me as well, that's even better. So yeah, I, I, I just, that's what I could add on top of what Charlie just said. Mm. Actually, just, I, I just want to jump in on that. Sorry, um, one second, Mike. Just jumping in. Um, for me, um, you know, that journey that, as you say, like going through as a having your team develop, um, maybe they're not the strongest team, but they develop together and they go on that journey. That's really special. Um, and I think you know, as a player, you know that's that's something that you enjoy but obviously as a coach that's so rewarding um so yeah i i completely agree with that mo sorry i, I cut you off all over to you no it, it's you actually said what i was going to say anyway is the um so first of all is every coach has their own view and philosophy but the most important is the player and the coach relationship mm-hmm. so building that throughout the years and seeing them grow develop regardless of if they become amazing or just average players it's just the way you grow together and seeing them develop from A to Z. So that development part is really crucial. And as Rob said about the mentality side of it, sometimes it's really hard to coach the mental side of the game because you see them once or twice a week. Um, but as they develop year on after year, they pick up your traits, they pick up your attitude and your style. So you see them grow into sometimes some fantastic kids, not just football players. So it's overall it's the coach's mindset that actually trying to plant the seeds in their heads and then if you are lucky to coach a team throughout the years for five six years then you will see the fruits bear just on that then um and we'll, we'll go back to you mo first um culture 
and team culture. How important is that uh, to to your team and um, and to the teams that you've worked with? And how do you go about implementing culture within a team setup? Um, well, that, to be honest with you, we, it's sometimes you're forced in these situations. So as you know, and Rob knows as well in this, we don't have um, kind of group of children from one place. We have multiple kind of different um, environment, kids coming from different environments. So the culture is really, really important. So the first few rules that for me, in my opinion, that I trying to get into their heads is the simple punctuality, attitude and the respect. And once you get that into their heads, so punctuality, not just turning up, but also putting the effort in. You've got kids, as you know, both of you, um, we've got American kids, we've got British kids, we've got kids that are sometimes don't even speak English. So trying to make sure they all understand what the coach is expecting you. That, for me, those three little almost non-essentials at the same time is very, very essential to me. So they're all on board. They're all respectful to each other. They're all listening to each other and all working well together before all the philosophy or anything else. So that's that's my number one rule, basically. That's where I get in when it comes to the culture. And uh, Rob, let's bring you in. Obviously, we spent a lot of time together with the um, under 15s team that we was working with. Um, I, I don't know if you remember some of the stuff we used to do back then. Um, but I mean, one <laughs> springs to mind is obviously the, the team social events that we tried. Um, yeah, what, what what's your thoughts on culture and it being implemented within? Yeah, within yeah. it's a lovely one, I think, because I, I don't think it's straightforward. I think Mo did excellently there just to, I guess, to summarise some of the key points there about punctuality and the attendance and the commitment, um, which is, I imagine, it's across most of grassroots. But I think certainly what I noticed when I worked with you, Danny, um, in Metro Socials, was something I kind of stole from Mo because he, he said that a long time ago with his various mm. teams. There's this attitude of, of being um, a group um, and also like close parents as well. You know, and you want them to be part of it. It's, it's a community as well, isn't it, really? Um, it's making sure we have that togetherness, understanding and constant communication. You know, what's expected of you, what's expected of the team, expected of us as coaches, uh, what we want to do to help you how you can also help yourself and help us. So it's, it's very much creating that environment where everyone's transparent, everyone's clear. You want to have fun, but you want to yeah. do it the best way possible. Spot on. I was, gonna, yeah. I was just going to say that that's in a more broader way, exactly how Rob said it. That's the best version to put it. <laughs> good, good. Um, okay, Charlie, um, turning to you now, because obviously you've been at Kinja with us. You 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 was coaching at Kinja, and now you're coaching at a different club. Um, is there any differences and any cultural differences that you've noticed at your new club um, that you know you've seen a positive impact on? Yeah, I think the difference. I mean, the clubs that I've coached for, I've coached in North London with Kinja, and then I've coached back down in Sussex where I'm now based. And there's a lot of difference. I think. The teams I've coached in different age groups as well, but also the types of player that you're coaching, and then the like you say the backgrounds they come from. I think they find actually that the players I coach in Sussex are from a very similar, all of them are from a very similar background. Whereas I think mm. in some ways that can make it a little bit more difficult because there's kind of that 
not everyone's coming at different, yeah. from different places and kind of wanting different things. They're all coming, okay, I want to be, I want to do this. And then you've got the pressure of parents coming in. And where I coach, there's a lot of that pressure to go, okay, because we're down the road from a professional, foot, from a Premier League football club, there's that kind of, is my is my child going to make it? Is my child, is trying to actually change the culture of that and say, actually, we're not here to make your players Premier League footballers. We're here to coach a team of players to put them together and like you say individually make them better but just uh, communicating that culture to parents as much as the players because I coach at quite a young age group now I've moved from coach I think it was about under 13s I ended up coaching in uh, North London and then came back here and was coaching at under I'm coaching at under 7 level now it's more of communicating to the parents what you want and I think that trickles through so clearly with players nowadays as much as any time that if a parent thinks their player thinks their player is good enough that they will there are different demands from parents i mean i've had you have parents in like nowadays with social media in the group chat we have like a, a whatsapp chat now as we have you'll have a parent say one thing in one place and then you'll have a private conversation with a parent where they'll tell you the complete opposite and it's just trying to get that culture trying to get that across as okay no this is how we want to do things and that's on a club a club-wide level now is that what we're trying to do is go okay this is what we want from the parents and then some of that's coming from the fa and some of it's coming from the club actually this is what we think we should be doing this is what we think to be acceptable and where we want the players mindsets to be i think that's really important it's just expectation yeah. managing as, as far as culture is i think really important okay um charlie just one more one more question um going back to you quickly um now as we said you you've gone from kinder you've gone to this this new club um how hard has it been to implement your coaching philosophy there at a new club? Um, it's interesting because the situation that I was in with Kinja was very the sort of the dynamic because I was I had a lot of control at had a lot of control of where the team was going, what we were doing on a weekly basis, and then coming to a new club and I was I'm now I'm now coached with a coach who's in their first season of coaching, but they've been given they're sort of given the power to make decisions, so it's kind of trying to use a bit more influential power than instrumental power when it comes to things like that and sort of saying okay well what if we try something like this what if we can look at it this way and maybe look at implementing something like that whether it's team selection whether it's a simple something as simple as saying okay if we're going to get into a game at the end of a training session let's not put the best five against the worst five let's put this player against this player and that player against that player and it's just trying to influence more than be instrumental i think which has been a little bit of change for me but i've quite liked it it's good it's different Good. Okay. Um, let's go to Rob now. Rob, um, when you're coaching, what is your, if you had to lay down some non-negotiables, so aspects that you, you, you know, you don't, you don't bend round, you know, <laughs> these are the rules and, and nothing but the rules. Um, what, what are your sort of non-negotiables when it comes to coaching? Okay. Good question. Because I think, I think it's a bit tricky because I think deep down we've all got ideals or idealists or what you would like to make sure is enforced or brought in. But when you're here, being honest about it, at a grassroots level particularly, um, we don't put too many demands on the player or the parent. Um, so for me, I don't really put non-negotiables in, but if there were certain aspects that I would say are areas where there's maximum commitment, I think, is a key one. So that's basically, you know, if we train twice a week, for example, 
please arrive for training on time twice a week if you're unable to attend training let us know in the fancy reasons why if you're running late let us know as well um it's obviously respect for your teammates that's i think it's obvious one but one that maybe we get overlooked by slightly because we don't talk about it openly enough but you know and i say respect i mean you know support you know decency have fun but also you know be, be be strong with each other push each other on um and i think the last one really is just about um giving your best is um, once again it probably sounds very obvious and cliche but you know, if you made the effort to come to the train in order to a match on a Saturday or Sunday morning, don't come there and then just stroll through the match or stroll through training. Like, really do all you can to to be the best that you can be. Because ultimately, you know, we can't do everything we can to, to get you to a better level or to approve you as a player or to even understand your development better. It's very much down to you as an individual. Um, so I'd say yeah, the commitment, the respect, and then there's just the work ethic. They're the three, I would say. Yeah, I definitely agree with that last one in particular. Um, uh, <laughs> it's so frustrating, isn't it, when you get players turn up and they're just they're there but not there. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it, but, it can but, be so frustrating. But but, but I, I think go back to my previous point. Sorry to, to drag on, just that. No, uh, we can't demand it. that. We can't demand that from them every single week and every single match, mm. every single training. But it's the it's the respect aspect of you know, doing that as much as you can, really. I think. But yeah, it's okay can be frustrating when you know you get someone there and they're literally like you said they're just not there really they're just zoned out for an hour and a half yeah okay uh let's bring in mo then mo any any additional non-negotiables or any anything you want to comment on in terms of what rob's brought up there to be fair when it comes to these non-negotiables i think i might be the only coach in the world that has almost a list <laughs> <laughs> Um, Rob's laughing because he knows this. <laughs> I'm sure you know. I sense what's coming next. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you do? Okay. <laughs> now, um, my non-negotiable usually is um, both the team and playing philosophy. Uh, and Charlie mentioned about the parents at the beginning. Um, and I am one of the lucky t- coaches as well who has teams that have parents and players meeting at the beginning of the season. So every season, I have so many handouts to the parents and players, printing out the playing philosophy, the style we want to play, how we're going to do the coaching, whether it's month by month, etc. So my number one non-negotiable is usually the team style and how we play. So whether it's playing from the back, even if the goalkeeper can't kick it far, the parents know that it's, it's, it's a must. We have to be better at it. Even if we make mistakes, we will continue doing so. And to be honest with you, the reason why this is non-negotiable is to improve the player's confidence. And you will see over time, the more they play from the back and they make mistakes at the beginning, later on, they'll have some sort of swagger and arrogance in, in their play and going through the thirds. So I, I have loads. Um, I don't think we have enough time to go through. But the simple, <laughs> way to put it is, the simple way to put it is the team philosophy and the playing philosophy are non-negotiable when it comes to um, me as a coach to the players and the parents. But the parents know it. We have the meeting at the beginning of the season, put out the expectations, let them know this is what will happen. We will make mistakes. But the goal is by the end of the season, we will be the masters of these situations, these scenarios, these plays, these systems, these et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, so I do have a list. But in a nutshell, that's, that's the main ones at the moment. <laughs> yeah, Mark, that's fine. Um, it's interesting you say about the team meetings with the parents. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, I'm sure gents you probably probably all agree having those kinds of meetings can sometimes be really really beneficial. Um, Absolutely. Certainly all, all the times I think I've I've held one, it's it's been to some beneficial effect. Um, so for anyone listening in who may be coaches and has maybe not come across doing that before, I think having that team meeting certainly with the parents at the start of the season midway through the season and at the end of the season, I think is, is really, really important. Um, but, I mean, that's that's just my opinion. Feel free to differ on that if anyone if anyone wants to. No, it, it's, um, no you're actually spot on. But, sorry, go on, Rob. No, no, I mean, I, I think it's the team meetings. I mean, that I originally, when I got into coaching, didn't really appreciate how important they are. I thought the relationship with the parent and the player kind of happens organically, you know, just through talking and working together. But I think Mo and Danny are both kind of hit a key point in there of it's that communication, isn't it, with the parent and the player so they fully understand where you're coming from as a coach and what you want to achieve with your with, your, with their child. I think it's really, really important. I, I understand it now far more than when I first got the coaching. Yeah, to be honest with you, when I was younger, so when I was a kid, um, we didn't have that. Um, I'm sure, Rob, you didn't have it either. Danny might be a bit different because you're younger than us, so he wasn't that far, far, far ago. A little bit, a little bit. A little bit okay. <laughs> yeah, no, we they, didn't have they it. They started doing it. Mm. Okay. No, I, I didn't have it growing up. Um, so all the way to U18, we would just start the season. The coach would tell us to run laps, etc., to work on fitness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and that was a norm, to be honest with you. It's only when I got to coaching that, for some reason, and it's not because of TV or anything either. It was just, I just wanted one day just to tell the team, um, this is what we're going to do, et cetera, et cetera. And then one or two parents came back to me a day later and said, oh, we like what you told the, the players, et cetera, et cetera. And then I went, would you guys like a meeting in that case as well? And they said, yes. And ever since, it just became a habit. And two weeks ago, um, with the 15 girls I'm coaching, I've actually had a Q&A session with the parents as well. And it was really, really good. Me and Josh, Josh Bacon, who's my assistant coach at the moment, um, we were worried at the beginning. They would question us about sometimes the mistakes the girls make, the things they do or the things that we're not good at. But all of them were really supportive yeah. and they were talking about how much things have improved. How did you do this? Or how did you make the girls work together this way? How do we, how can we help you in these scenarios, etc.? cetera? Um, so no, it, it's, it's not something I grew up with or anything like that, but it's something really, really helpful. And I enjoy doing it because once you get to know the parents and you have these conversations, they come on your side and they help you with the actual players. And the development for the child yeah. also becomes much better because the coach and the parents are on the same page. Of course, you will you will get mm. one or two parents that might not be on your page. <laughs> Luckily, I don't have it with the team I'm coaching right now, but there will now and then be a parent that maybe doesn't think oh we should do something differently so yeah but it's something really really i find it helpful yeah and um it's, it's interesting it really is because um these meetings certainly at the age group that i i'm now working with is more so with the players than the, the parents unfortunately um that's just the, that's just the way it goes um so we have a lot of age group is harry now, yeah. and i yeah, we we have a lot more communication with the with the players directly rather than the parents, which has its pros and cons. Yeah. Um, but as you say, it's it's I think across the board, no matter what age group you work at, um, you get 
you need to break down those those barriers and, and make it clear for your your philosophy to be sort of fed through um, to to all parties really. Um, okay, so let's bring in Charlie now. Charlie, um, you still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm good. still yeah. Been listening, uh, yeah, listening intensely. It's been great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a great time, Danny. Don't worry, me. <laughs> Um, just wanted to find out from you if there was any coaches that you um, look look at in terms of the professional game, and they sort of model your your philosophy or part of your philosophy. Um, is there any that come to mind at all? Um, I think, to be honest, my it's very easy to turn around and go, "Oh yeah, Pep Guardiola is fantastic, and Jurgen Klopp is fantastic." It's like, well, actually, what they do is on a completely sort of different level to what we're su- suggesting, but. There are things you can take from lots of different elite manager, well, elite level managers at that sort of Premier League level. You look at, I think Chris Wilder would be the one that, from what he says, from how he sets his team up, how his team seem to play, that kind of okay. There will be bits of individual quality, Chris but we will Wilder. win because our team is as a whole better. I think Leicester would probably, uh, Brendan Rodgers at Leicester would probably be a very similar one. That kind of, and Jurgen Klopp would be the the top of the tree on that where you can tell that his team as a whole play really well. But I think it's that not wanting to rely on individual brilliance to win games, to get performances, and that everyone is part of the project, that it's not just two indivi- two or three individuals out of an 11. It's all 11 playing a part in getting what everyone wants to get out of it rather than just what one or two people want to get out of it. I think that's where I would probably say, yeah, Chris Wilder would be my <laughs> the headline of that one. Chris Wilder, Wilder. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, Rob, who, who would you look up to? So you asked me, Danny? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. cool. Thank you. Uh, when you first put that together, I thought, I was like, do you mean like, which, which managers looked at my work and said, yeah, I want to do that? But I don't know if that's the question, is it? It's the other way around. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, yeah. I was thinking to myself, it's, it's tricky because obviously, you know, like like Charlie said, uh, we all want the the elite coaches that 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 level of consistency and quality that they're able to implement. Obviously, with the coaching staff as well. Um, but I think I'm a bit older than, than you three, so I, I come from there of, of the early '90s when I first started really understanding football. And there was an Italian coach called Rigo Sarchi mm. who you used to work <laughs> at Milan. I don't know why you guys are laughing because Sarchi at his time it was all no, about. Sorry. The... I wasn't laughing about. It. I was having a good way because he, the one that's the one I was going to say. But continue. Oh really? Cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> oh, I'm interested in why you picked Sarchi. So for me, it was it, he had a very structured four four two system, um, which almost seems quite archaic in this generation of football now. Um, but what he was quite um, revolutionary in, in the shape of sorry, in the sense of the shape of the system. So it very much became almost like a out of possession. It was pretty much closer to one defender, sorry, two central defenders, three max of push up. Um, the midfielders would get tight in, and then the two strikers would basically go wide. It was, it was very, very like groundbreaking in this style. And then without the ball, it was very, very like, like together and um no width allowed and they channel the board in certain areas so they're basically it's kind of like a pressing system off the ball on the board it's very expansive and i remember watching the milan teams in the 90s and seeing that i think in the world this looks very different to the football i used to watch in the Premier league at that age 
Um, and I've always wanted teams to almost you know, play like that. I've worked with them. So we haven't got the ball. You know, it'd be really difficult to break down. Similar to what Charlie said, the real team ethic. Then when we got the ball, I want the team we played against to, be, to have a, take a, a large deep breath because we've got the ball and we're moving it quickly and everyone's moving for space and we're hard to break down. So I think growing up, it was uh, definitely Rigasaki. I think more modern managers right now, um, if I had to pick one particular style, I, I quite like, and I'm actually going to give, give this person a lot of praise because I don't really get enough of it, um, is Nuno at Wolves. They're, they're a team also, I think you watch them closely with the, the shape. They, they play really, really good, expansive football, but they're also so hard to break down and beat. Um, and that's something that I really respect in any coach, really. Yeah, OK. Over to Mo, then. Well, for me, it's not just one coach. However, um, there's a point with Arrigo Sacchi and also Carlo Ancelotti, Pep Guardiola. Um, when I was in college, um, well, long time ago now, um, I did research in terms of playing and coaching styles. And one of the first YouTube video clips I watched about coaching, that was back in 2007, was Arrigo Sacchi actually doing a coaching drill. And some of the players he had at the time was Frank Reichardt. And I've never seen Frank Reichardt at the time, well, on the video, was one of the world's best players. But on the coaching video, I've never seen someone who runs back and forth as much for someone's ability and do as much defensive work on sliding on empty cones. So first time I watched that video, I actually fell in love with it because it was a simple and effective way of coaching. And Rob talked about the out-of-possession way of AC Milan in the 90s. And watching that YouTube clip, you, you, will, you saw how his vision would become into the match days. Because on the, on the training session, there were, no ball, there were no footballs at all. It was players standing and empty cones in an area, another set of cones in another area, and he would have a whistle, and he would blow that whistle, and the players would sprint to a cone or a different kind of cone. And all of this were to do with match situations. So if the ball was somewhere on the right wing, for example, and he blows the whistle and points to the right wing, they will all sprint one way and shift to another corner, and so on and so on. Then he wouldn't choose a ball afterwards, and the players would, because they were world-class players, he didn't have to say much. Because every situation they were in, he put them into the situation. And when the ball was there, they would do their talk with the ball. And that was really amazing. So I fell in love with Arrigo Sacchi's style of coaching when I watched those YouTube clips. And then the Ancelotti style of the late AC Milan, the Champions League winning teams, which was brilliant. The 4-1-2-1-2 formation, the 4-4-2 diamond. And mm, how they would yeah. play in possession with such an attacking vivo and only have two centre-backs. And everyone else goes and invades in their position. Um, area and then when they become out of possession and start defending the way they would defend with the 4-4-2 formation was fantastic it was brilliant and then Pep Guardiola in the last one is just watching I'm sure you all agree watching Pep Guardiola teams versus the Barcelona the Bayern Munich or even the Manchester City now who I don't think is the same level as Barcelona back then it's just so amazing to watch basically the way they recycle and retain the ball especially that Barcelona trio in midfield of Xavi Iniesta and Messi as the number 10. So for me, it's not just one coach, but in terms of the coaching style, I, Danny, you probably know this because you've worked with me quite a lot. We would spend on situation coaching. So if the ball is on that side, we shift to one corner, we expect this and we expect that, etc. And even Rob as well, I think it's, it's a while back now, 
but you remember of the style of I, the way I used to coach with the Pep Guardiola style of the possession-based football, short pass in midfield, recycling and playing it through the thirds. Yeah, so, yeah I remember. Yeah, so it's and when it comes to attacking side of it, the Ancelotti side of it of invading to the opponent's at, um, area, just leaving two centre backs, one in front of the another, almost a formation of one-one. Um, one sweep on one centre back that stops the counter attack, another one that covers. So yeah, so it's multiple coaches' idea put together, but mainly because of I loved seeing them coach. I watched and fell in love with the way they did things, and that kind of inspired me to kind of put together those three and use it my way. Um, yeah, to be honest, with you, that's that's why I loved Tony Stadar yeah. because I didn't think it was someone that other people nowadays appreciate as much as people back in the 80s or 90s would. Oh, some superb coaches there. And, um, yeah, I mean, just to add in an extra couple of names, Bielsa, Bielsa as well. Uh, yeah. I think that what he's done at Leeds in terms of you you look at, from what, what I saw anyway, you had a bang average Leeds side. Um, <laughs> I saw them the season before. No, as in, I don't think they signed anyone that season season he t- he took over uh, he maybe signed one player but the whole the complete contrast in terms of the football they were playing before and then the style that he implemented there was incredible uh, Wolves as you Sorry, said you know, um, yeah go on so it's, I was just going back to before you moved on from Bielsa um, I think Rob might know this Bielsa coached Udinese back in 2005 <laughs> and he he turned a mediocre team that was harboring relegation into a Champions League team within two seasons. And I'm not sure if you remember, Alexis Sanchez and Antonio Di Natale were in that team, who went on to become superstars in other teams. So um, I know you're seeing Bielsa now in um, Leeds United, but what he's done with Atletico In Leeds, wow, he's got a whole history. Yeah, yeah, he sure does. Yeah, just to jump in there, I think if you there's a term that's used in, I've been getting into American sports recently, which has been really interesting. Completely different talk about coaching there, but they talk about coaching trees and about how coaches will refer to the experience of older coaches and how Bielsa is spoken about by, I mean, every Spanish-speaking manager I can think of has mentioned Bielsa at some point. You look at Pochettino, you look at Guardiola. They've all mentioned that Bielsa is kind of the grandfather of what they want to do. And that kind of relentless play, whether it's on the ball, off the ball, in transition, it's, yeah, I think Bielsa is a really, very much sort of, the grandfather of it all. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a great, great role model. Um, and then, obviously, as I said, uh, just Nuno as well. I know, Rob, you, you brought him up. I think Nuno, um, incredible, incredible coach as well. Um, okay, final question, just to finish off the podcast, because I don't want to keep you for much longer. This this is a really good chat. Um, we're going to go to Mo first, okay? Um, I want to know, uh, someone went to watch your team play uh, today. Um, what's the one thing you would want them to come away with? So for me, it would be if they come and watch my team that I, I work with, it would be either player empowerment. So they, they see the players are empowered to make decisions, empowered to lead their own warm up or um, a brotherhood in terms of teamwork. I know, <laughs> Rob, that was your turn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, what what would what would yours be most? Mine is actually much much simpler than that. Um, 
for me is if someone came to watch my team today, it's just to say I've really enjoyed that game. Just, just enjoyed it with whether it's the intensity of play, whether it's the passing game, whether it's the attacking, whether it's hey, whatever they found it interesting. Just to come away and say I've enjoyed that because we both know we've gone all of us gone to some youth matches over the years. And we've looked at it and went, this is not, this is just crazy. This is just Sunday League football, etc. So now and then when you see a match and you go, oh, I really enjoyed that game. That was a really good game I just watched. That is my, just, that's what I would like people to say if they came and watched my team one day. Okay, cool. Uh, Rob? That's, that's very sweet one from her, actually. I think we sometimes forget yeah. that, you know, we're there to also enjoy watching the football rather than just there to, manipulated it and I guess hopefully got our team to play better and to win um, but I, I think my one would probably be and I think Charlie mentioned earlier about Biesler it's a tricky one because I think it's very demanding but I think it's it's it's, um, it's relentlessness on, let, me, let me explain that please if I can it's it's more the case okay. of um, you know if, if they're struggling or not playing well or the team isn't clicking I really want someone to watch my team go, oh, a Robert Manzi team just doesn't stop. It always keeps playing. They always keep competing. They might be losing a game by a last scoreline, but they're still going to go up the other end of the pitch and attempt to score. Um, that would that give me a lot of pride, I think, as a coach, to you know that my team would be looked upon that way. So I would say that's a real relentless commitment to, to give everything during the course of that match. Okay, great. Let's bring in Charlie then. Charlie, to finish it all off. Uh, to be honest, I think I'd probably go somewhere in the middle of the two points there. I think you've kind of got oh. that desire to push. Oh, we're all good. Have I, have I bugged out? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I think you're back now. Oh, that's right. Cool. I can hear all you guys, so don't me panic. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's that case of never say die with the, my teams. It's always a case of reinforcing whether you're 4-0 up or 4-0 down that the game is still there to be played. And that kind of relentlessness again. I think, I, To be honest, I'd, be in, I'd probably agree entirely with Rob, but again with Mo, with that kind of... You want to play entertaining football as well, that you want there to be a real... You want to go up against another team and sort of exhibit the skills that your players have and say, look, okay, whether the, come rain or shine, we need to kind of put ourselves out there and really keep, I think, focused and keeping on top of a game is really important, I'd say. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, well, great points there, chaps. Um, that brings what us to the you, end. What yeah, about Danny, you? What about you? Yeah, I, I want to hear you, Danny. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Said mine. Yeah. <laughs> I said mine. Mine was player empowerment, um, a united team, a brotherhood as such. Um, and then, yeah, I guess you're right in terms of there, there is no better feeling than knowing your team is continuously you know working hard even if things aren't going right um and i think that's something i've appreciated over the the last few seasons in particular is you know sometimes you're in situations where things are going against you and it's completely out of your hand um but it fills you with pride knowing that the boys are giving their all um and that's that's all you can ask um so that, that would be mine um I don't know if you guys agree or disagree. So that's that's no, my final three. No, it's, a, it's everyone's opinion. There's no disagreement, and all of you are right. It's well, who when we watch the Premier League or the teams we support, don't we all want them to never stop and 
just continue and hustle and work hard. So now everyone is correct and it's, yeah, it's, it's everyone's opinion, isn't it? It's and what they think and the way they see the games played and the way they believe. So no, it's everyone's yeah. spot on. Yeah, okay, brilliant. Um, so as I say, it's brought us to the end of today's podcast. Uh, so thank you very much, chap. So it was a really good discussion. Um, thank I'm you sure for having we'll us. get you both on soon. Um, before we finish, what we normally do um, is we normally share our social media accounts just so if anyone listening in wants to come and follow us on social media, they can do so. Um, so uh, let's go with Charlie first. Charlie, how can anyone listening in follow you on social media? Uh, yeah, you can find me at uh, on Twitter at Charlie Pumphrey. Nice and easy on that one. Okay, great. Uh, Rob? Well, I thought I said growing up doing this, like a proper podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so you, you can find me on Twitter um, at Bobby Manz. That's B-O-B-B-Y-M-A-N-Z. There we go. <laughs> yeah, don't forget it's a Z. It's a Z. Right, Mo, how can we follow you? I'm actually laughing because you guys remember your Twitter. I can't remember mine because that's how much I can't use it. I only just check out people's, um, well, um, professional football and just retweet and tweet. Well, I don't actually tweet. I just retweet or like things. So um, yeah, I'm sure if you search yeah. my name, Mo Jama, I'm, I'm somewhat <laughs> there. But, sorry, Rob. Okay. It's the MJ10 or something like that, isn't it? I'm pretty sure. That's my Instagram. Yeah, that's, that's... I feel like it's probably something along those. There you go. <laughs> Look, you've got your social media plug. <laughs> One for the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I've created it um, such a you... long time ago and I hardly do anything with it. It's just, yeah, um, it's something to do with M Jama or Mo Jama. Uh, number 10 will always be involved, so. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. So you can have a search for that. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at DannyCook1996. And uh, don't forget, of course, check out our website, halftimecupper.com, for more content, especially coaching content is going to be coming up over the next couple of days. Um, we've been working really hard behind the scenes, creating some content. It's all scheduled. It's all going to be up later on in the week. Um, so we should have plenty there for you to digest, despite the lack of football that's going on in the world right now. Um, as I say, thank you very much, gents. Thanks for your time. I appreciate thank you. you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, Danny. Um, and until next time, take care of yourselves, given all this coronavirus issue. Uh, take care of yourself. Stay safe. And um, until next time, goodbye. <laughs>